If you like stationery, you'll rate this podcast pen out of pen. Welcome, welcome, scribes and scribblers, to the Nib section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Uh, my name is Chucks Montano. I'm here with our co-hosts returning once again. Welcome, Diana. Hi, Chuck. And welcoming Sharon. Hello. Uh, the two of them are uh, in person. You know, they're, they're recording space, and uh, I am connected to them uh, through the internet, which we know is a series of tubes. What are we all writing with today? Let's let's go, Sharon first. So I have a pile. And now I'm going to get the name of this limited edition completely mucked up, but it was the 2017 Pilot Vanishing Point limited edition, and I think it was called the Crimson Sunrise Sunset. I think that's right. Crimson Sunrise Sunset. Yep. It's one of them. I think it's the sunrise because it sort of looks like a sunrise. Um, and this one's got a broad architect nib from nibs.com. Oh. It's interesting that you mention uh, your Crimson Sunrise because I am writing with my uh, Tequila Sunrise uh, limited edition that just came out from Sailor. It came with a medium fine that I swapped into my classic pens model and I've replaced it with my rounded nose cursive italic that I got from uh, Michael Masayama, um, AKA uh, Mikey Amyams, which uh, nobody calls him. Um, <laughs> and I've got Apache Sunset in it. It's a pretty great combination. That's a shockingly pretty pen, I have to say. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cheers to the sunrises. You, Diana. <laughs> so we are recording this on October 14th. Uh, we're recording two episodes at once, which means I will have the same pen in this episode as in the next episode, which as after this one and because of um a boo-boo which i'll explain in the next episode i am using my parker jotter because i don't have any fountain pens on me this is a ballpoint it's my staple because i always carry it around with me and it's perfectly fine don't judge me okay she could have pretended and borrowed one of my spare pens no i am proud of my fountain penlessness she, she, she will own it. Uh, she is proud. Yes. Well, before we get to our main topic today, um, which is probably the, the, the other half that we, that we don't talk about so much of, uh, of writing, there is some news. There is the Melbourne International Pen Show uh, happening on the 25th of November at Malvern Town Hall. That's $10 admission. Under 18's entry is free. You can find uh, information at www.melbpenshow.com.au and it's their 20th anniversary this year. 20 years they've been running since 1998. You will find vintage pens and pencils, uh, fountain pens, ink and accessories, calligraphy demos, pen tuning demonstrations, and more. Uh, we also have a little bit of a correction from the previous episode uh, with Leo. You want to take that one, Di? Yes, thanks for leaving me with the correction. Blame it on Leo. <laughs> I am going to blame it on Leo. No, that's all right, Leo. We love you. Um, Leo was here to give us a rundown of the first Tokyo International Pen Show, which he did not attend, but um, he knew quite a few people who attended. It was at the very last weekend of September this year. And Leo, he incorrectly gave the attendance numbers as 16,000. In fact, um, he told me later on that it was 1,600. So it, the exact number was uh, 1,618 total attendees, 1,062 on the Saturday and 556 on the Sunday, which was, I think, the day of the typhoon. Still very impressive numbers and congratulations to the organisers. I think it was Kaoru-san of Bungbox and Yay. Eboya. Yay! And I'm sure the numbers will be even higher next year when there isn't a typhoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just not to the magnitude that we initially thought they were. If it was 16,000, I'd be wondering what venue they're holding this in. That's, yeah. that's like massive exhibition space. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was incredible. So our, our main topic today, the, the other half of the equation, paper. Uh, if you've been using fountain pens uh, for any old while, you'll know that you'll know just, just as well as us that it's, uh, it's not like writing with a ballpoint, and you will find very different experiences on different kinds of paper. Why, why do we need special paper for fountain pens? I don't think you do. 
No. Is, no. Uh, episode closed. No. So. <laughs> Future episodes can be found. <laughs> no, so I, I don't actually think you need special paper for fountain pens. And just by using a fountain pen doesn't mean that you need to go out and stock up on lots and lots of different types of expensive paper as well. So there's a, there's the holy trinity, and I apologise for using that term, the holy trinity of fountain pens, which are your pen, ink and paper. We all are happy to spend on pens to an extent. Inks, uh, we're probably a little bit more prolific when it comes to uh, collecting and trying inks. But with paper, it's probably not as forefront of mind as any of the others. Because it's seen as disposable, it's, right? It's quite disposable, yes. And it's harder to justify the value in paper because it's not coming up with a different colour. You're not holding it and actually actively using it the way that you use a pen. So it's often the overlooked third of that particular equation. But why I said that you don't actually need special special fountain pen paper is that you can write on whatever paper you want. It's just you get a different experience and you get a different output and a different um, uh, final result because you're using different types of paper. If you don't care how it looks, as long as it's basically legible, use whatever paper you want. If you're using a fountain pen just because you like the fact that it's not a disposable instrument and you can use the same bottle of Aurora Blue ink for the rest of your life because that's your favourite colour, guilty, um, you don't have to get a very special type of paper. But if you truly enjoy writing with a fountain pen and you like all of the other paraphernalia that comes with it, you sometimes want to amp up your experience. And by doing that, one of the overlooked ways of doing that is just to improve or get a different type of paper, try it out on different types of paper. So one of the reasons that I think a lot of people um, are willing to shell out a little bit more for paper is because the appearance of ink on different types of paper is so varied. And if you're going to splurt on a bottle of ink that has unique properties, whether it's sheening or very strong shading or, you know, glitter, you want to be able to show that um, special effect on the ink to its maximum extent. And perhaps it's really not worth getting the ink if you're just going to use it on, you know, copier paper or something that's very porous and that you're not getting the maximum impact that you could be getting out of the ink. For, for me, there's a certain floor for fountain pen paper and it's not, you know, I don't necessarily need there to be high sheening. I don't you know, necessarily need it to feel a particular level of smooth. What I'm most kind of avoiding is um, I don't like uh, feathering. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my floor um, for fountain pen paper. If you've been using different types of paper and you've been using fountain pens for quite a while, you'll know all this stuff most likely. But um, I think it's worth probably going through some of the properties, physical and also um, appearance-wise, deep dive um, things that we look for in terms of properties of paper. You know, Sharon was saying that you don't necessarily need fountain pen paper. There's no, we, we talk about paper that is fountain pen friendly, but generally speaking, most papers you can use with fountain pen. There's only really two, I think, properties which I think disqualifies a paper for use with fountain pens. One is that it has a particular coating that makes it resistant to ink so that you can't write on it. It won't leave a good mark. Photo paper. Yeah, photo paper. Extra, extra glossy photo Exactly. Paper. That's one thing that you really can't use fountain pens with and you really need um, a ballpoint. And the other thing is paper that has very coarse surfaces that will catch onto a nib. Fibrous. Very fibrous papers, exactly. So what that will, of course, cause feathering. But more than that, what you get is um, fibres getting caught in between your nibs and that can damage um, the paper and also damage your nib. Absolutely. But those two things aside, you can use whatever paper you want. In the subtle differences, um, I think, are often described in terms of the amount of feedback that you get uh, through the writing. Quality is also like sheen. Uh, the amount of feathering, the amount of bleed through, and what others would you say there are? So you've probably hit the nail on the head in terms of the main ones. And I'll state up front, I'm just a prolific stationary hoarder and not an expert in 
paper making or in that particular profession. So I think some of the most common questions that come from fountain pen users are help, uh, my ink is bleeding through the page or my ink is feathering. Those are probably the two most common complaints for paper. So for the bleeding one, there's a fairly simple solution to that. Use a higher um, GSM, so higher stock. What's it called? Gram square meter per square meter. So it's the thickness of your paper. A higher GSM is usually the way to go to stop bleeding, but it doesn't necessarily stop any of your other feathering issues. But it's not to say that just go out and get a 300 GSM cardboard stock and you'll be fine to use it as um, a fountain pen friendly, quote unquote. Well, you might, but um, good luck trying to fit a notepad of that into (laughs) um, your backpack. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And then the other one for feathering... uh, So I have my own theories on this, which have just been through experimentation. I think feathering is caused by the way that the paper is actually put together. So how the pulp is manufactured and then reassembled into a sheet of paper. And in particular, whether or not there is any finishing that's done on the paper as the pulp is uh, drying. So is there any type of coating or how is the uh, gluing being done to get the paper together? And then the more fibrous the paper, so the larger the pieces of your paper pulp is, um, the more likely it is to feather. So where you see papers which have visible fibres, so you have like little like miniature little dashes across a sheet of paper. You'll often see this with handmade paper as well as recycled paper. They're probably the ones where you'll look at them and you go, oh, I don't know if that's going to be fountain pen friendly. When I go out looking for paper, I don't tend to buy anything which has flex in it or a handmade paper for fountain pen purposes because I know nine out of 10, that's going to be an absolute train wreck when it comes to feathering. And that's fine if you don't mind the feathering effect and if you write large enough that the feathering doesn't bother you. I have small handwriting. <laughs> and when when things feather on a piece of paper and you can see the ink spread, then that drives me absolutely bonkers. So you were talking about the the triumvirate, you know, pen, ink and uh, paper. What also needs to be taken into account is what kind of nibs you're using. So that's something that um, when someone asks us, what would you recommend as a good fountain pen ink friendly paper? Um, you have to ask what kind of nib sizes you tend to be using. And is the nib you're using, you know, on, on a scale of very dry to very wet, where does it lie? Because if you're using on a day-to-day basis a pelican oblique medium or an oblique broad with a very wet ink, that's going to bleed and um, feather a lot more, even on fairly good papers, um, than if you're using like a pilot fine. Yeah, I was going to say if you're using like a a Japanese um, FEF, UEF, you're probably not going to find very many issues with writing on a lot of papers because you're simply not laying down enough ink for there to be as much issue with bleeding or feathering. Yeah. Actually, when you get on the extremely finer end of the scale, um, you actually you get more issues with papers Catching. that have some type of texture. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's really difficult to uh, work through on your uh, extra fine nibs. Does, does the paper have to be expensive that we're talking about? No. No, Big I don't think so no. either. Yeah. Um, so at the Pelican Hub, at the Sydney Pelican Hub, I actually brought a, a few pads of extremely, extremely cheap paper. Which, which we didn't end up getting to which use. Which we didn't end up using. <laughs> the table was so small. Yeah, I, it actually, it I brought this specific paper because um, I, I'm guilty of going around and just shopping for paper because I, I th- that's something that I enjoy. And instead of getting one, you buy backups of I, I buy, your papers. I buy in bulk, you know. And so the paper that I actually got um, at the time was just from our local Woolworths from Woolworths and it came in like a six pack. It was this uh, blank extra thin um, sketching paper or just general writing paper. But the thing was, when I went and had a look at all of these paper pads, as I do, I look for a couple of things. I tend to prefer thinner paper. If I'm going to get something cheap, I'm going to get something that's thinner. And the reason behind that is 
people use gel pens quite a lot. So not just fountain pens, but gel pens. If someone is producing a thin paper, they have to take into consideration people who use uh, fine liners and gels. And if your thin paper is too thin or it's not being processed correctly, then your fine liners and your gel pens don't work on them, let alone fountain pens. So you'll find that most thin paper come with some sort of coating on top, which from a fountain pen perspective works really, really well to bring out sheen. So the thing that brings out sheen is generally the finishing on a paper. Contrary to what uh, I said earlier around non-bleeding papers and getting a higher GSM, I go for very, very thin paper if I'm looking for it. And then I also have a hand feel of the paper that I'm trying out. So the smoother the finish, and if, if it feels like it's got a slight bit of gloss to it when you feel it, and it's not absorbing your hand oils, that's probably another good bet for buying fountain pen friendly paper. So it's just about hand feel. If you get to try it out, even better. But um, uh, yeah, this one just from Woolies, I think it was like a dollar for a pack of five or six. Great paper very fountain pen friendly. It does a ghost through, so you can see on the other side. Uh, I don't mind ghosting so much because I never use the other side of a, a thin piece of paper. It doesn't have to be extremely expensive paper, so long as you're finding the qualities that work really well with fountain pen. I think there's two things that might prevent people from recommending a lot of you know mass-produced inexpensive paper for fountain pens one is that maybe the consistency is not necessarily there across um, you know different countries and across batch to batch that is something that I can um, think of might you know because it might have different experiences from batch to batch the other thing is um, just because a lot of these papers are not as widely available as um, something like Rodeo, which has a bit of name recognition. I know because in uh, Officeworks, when I first started out using fountain pens for my note-taking, I tried out a batch of different notepads and um, inexpensive notebooks from Officeworks. And some of them were really quite good, especially with finer nibs. But often, you know, they'll be there one week and then they'll be out of stock the next. And you can't and there's it's much more difficult to find sources for them elsewhere and especially with paper you can't really buy internationally so you're really at the mercy of your local stationery um, retailer if you want to try it beforehand or if you want to have a feel and see what it looks like yeah and I see a lot of recommendations on notice boards um, from users overseas of copy a paper that's available near them that's inexpensive and very fountain pen friendly but I can't find that here you know, that's, um, it's a country-specific product, um, so it's more challenging to resource. Yeah, absolutely, um, which is why when I, what I mentioned previously was not a particular brand, it was what I go and look for when I'm shopping for paper. I don't take a recommendation on its face. Mm -hmm. If it's of a mass market type of paper, I will go in and physically handle it and try it out um, and see if it sort of ticks majority of the criteria that I have. Yeah. On the note of paper, we, we kind of put a lot of these uh, ideas out to the uh, fountain pen community uh, in Fountain Pens Oceania, and we, we came back with uh, some frequently asked questions or some uh, some input from the community that they'd like us to answer. So let's let's get started on a little bit of this question and answer segment. First one we've got is from uh, Mark Doyle. Uh, who says he's been using his Twisby AL Mini in his Midori MD notebooks. Various inks started with uh, Osper SPS uh, Lavender, fine and medium nibs. They write well for a couple of pages, but then they seem to write thin, almost dry. Is there something in the glossiness of the paper that might clog the nibs? Um, I have noticed when I've been using the Midori MD, I've gotten particularly when I'm using an... Uh, an ink that's already known to be dry. Um, I will occasionally get uh, something that's, you know, sort of reminiscent of like a like a hard start uh, for. Do you mean Imperial Purple? I don't know if it's uh, if anything's catching in the paper, but I think it might just be on the paper itself. Um, I'm, I'm not sure because the same issue I will have. I'll have none of the same with uh, copy paper or with, uh, you know, TR, which is my my usual. Um, what about the two of you? So uh, I love Midori MD paper. It's 
as many people know, it's my paper of choice. So a couple of things with Midori, a couple of features are distinct to Midori paper. One, it's got a texture to it, which um, is usually it usually goes against bringing out qualities in ink such as sheen. Um, textured paper just in general tends to be more absorbent because it's got the grooves and whatnot. And so sheen doesn't tend to show on it as much. But if you've ever used Midori MD paper, you'll see that um, it brings out sheen absolutely beautifully. And so in my mind, there must be some type of treatment on top of the paper or some type of coating on top of the paper to allow it to have the both the texture as well as the sheen-inducing qualities. So, um, Mark, I, you might be right in that there is a certain glossiness to that particular paper being the coating. Um, the other thing about Midori MD paper is that it always makes your nibs write finer than um, on any other type of paper. So, if you use like a broad nib, which I rarely use, but... Um, when I do use a broad nib on an MD notebook, uh, I can actually write with it normally, whereas with most other papers, you, I just can't. Uh, again, it could be the coating on the particular paper, but MD paper will make your nibs write a little bit finer. And uh, I think that all has something to do with the way that they finish this particular paper so that it's not drawing as much ink out of your pen Um as many other uh, like copier paper, as you mentioned, Chuck. Yep. See, I use the Midori MD quite frequently, both the cotton and the non-cotton, the wood the regular, pulp, the regular cell, uh, wood pulp, and I've never found it to be particularly dry, to be honest. Whereas the sort of thing, the thinness and the dryness that Mark is experiencing, uh, that it, he describes experiencing with the MD, I've actually found with rhodia paper, which is very heavily coated, right? Yes. It has a very noticeable slickness when you touch it. And yep. I've always found when I use nibs, uh, with just any sort of nib, really, um, if it's a fairly dry ink, it just will not write very smoothly on it. And I think part of it is whether or not the paper has any absorbency to it to help the capillary action mm -hmm. and draw out some of the ink that's coming out of your pen. Yeah. And so the more, more coated it is, the less it's likely to um, have that type of action. Yeah. So we're not sure because we haven't experienced quite the same thing with MD, I don't think. So with MD, I have experienced the fact that the pens do write a little bit thinner. Um, so Robert Oster inks, in my opinion, probably run on the drier side, uh, especially the shading inks that he's got rather than the sheening inks. I don't tend to use Robert Oster inks on MD or on Rhodia paper. I tend to save that for like Tomoe River if I'm using an Oster ink. Okay. We've got a question from uh, James Finnis of Finnis Pens. I'd love to hear about the two GSM variants of Tomoe River paper, uh, if you get time. I know that we have the 52 and the 68 GSM. Is that right? Yeah. So 52 is, I think, the original version OG. of Tomoe, <laughs> the original generation Tomoe River, and that was available at, as loose leaf. It was found in notebooks, um, which were sold by Paper for Fountain Pens, the now, I'm not sure if it's still existing, Paper for Fountain Pens website. It is the grade that is used in Hobonichi um, diaries and planners. Uh, and Nanami 7Cs. Yeah. Um, who else is using them now? Musubi, Musubi notebooks. Mm -hmm. um, quite a lot of people. It's the, it was the uh, original one that was more easily available. And then 68 came out. I think it was originally from Taroko. Mm -hmm. Is it Taroko Shop with their Enigma that first brought the um, 68 GSM to the forefront of everyone's attention? And my impression is that I think the sheening is much more visible on the 52 GSM, generally speaking, but you get a lot less sh um, show through with the 68 GSM, as you'd expect, because if it's um, it's more dense and just thicker. It's less likely to attract oils from your skin when you touch it. That's my issue mainly with the 52 GSM. With the 52 GSM, it's interesting that you mentioned the Hobonichi. And I've read a lot of um, talk about the Hobonichi Tomoe River paper being completely different to 
the other uh, paper that you get in your Nanami Seven Seas and your um, paper for fountain pens and uh, the Tomoe River that you can buy in loose leaf or in a bound pad. People suspect that the Hobonichi actually asks Tomoe River to have a different type of treating on the paper to get it to be the Hobonichi quality. So the Hobonichi uh, paper is slightly different, the Tomoe River, slightly different to the other ones that you find around. It's less absorbent. It takes longer to dry, even longer than your other Tomoe River, but it does bring out a bit more vibrancy in colours. And there's something about that coating where it doesn't attract your uh, hand oils as much as most other 52 GSMs. With the 68, I actually find uh, the 68 that I've tried, which has been from, I think I've tried one of the Goulet notebooks, 68 GSM, and I've also tried the Enigma. Depending on the batch and the time that you get them, some of them are very, very absorbent when it comes to hand oil. So there is a bit of smearing that goes through if you put your hand on a page. Top tip get something like a spare sheet of paper, put your hand on that, rest your hand on that as like a hand guard for your paper because oils um, will break down a whole bunch of paper quality, uh, so paper finishes such that your uh, your ink just bleeds all over the place. Yeah, I remember when fa- Paper for Fountain Pens were selling their 7Cs, they also sold on their website these plastic hand guards basically, a piece of clear plastic to put under your hand when you were writing so you couldn't smear it. I believe uh, Hipponoto does the same thing as well. They've got little plastic insert um, that you can use as a hand guard. You have a Hipponoto, Chuck. I do. And it came with the said hand guard. And it's 68 GSM, isn't it? It is 68. Uh, it, it feels, um, I don't know, I haven't used the Hobonichi, so I can't speak on that, but it feels the same as the loose leaf stuff that you would get. And, I mean, it's the kind of classic qualities of... Um, of your your TR stuff and that it's uh, drying times are, are you know extended a little bit, but I, I prefer it mainly because I use a lot of uh, yellow and orange inks, which um, you know work quite well on the TR paper because of the coating and because it's a white um, it's a white paper um, I prefer. So you get you get a lot more of um, the vibrancy of the ink that you were talking about. Yeah, so that's actually um, a really good point. The 52 GSM Tomoe River doesn't come in like stark, stark, stark white, whereas the 68 does. The white of the 68 is much brighter than the white of the um, 52. Is that so? Because when I was buying my loose pads from Bookbinders about a couple of years ago perhaps, they sold it in both a white and an ivory yeah, so, so you're saying the white is actually not really white? No. So if you look at a uh, Hobonichi, uh, it's quite easy to tell. If you look at a Hobonichi, um, they use the white and it's not as white as an Enigma, for instance. Okay. Whereas if you look at the Hobonichi Weeks, the Hobonichi Weeks uses the ivory. Okay. I don't have a Weeks. I do. I, yeah. I'll bring one next time to show you. Sure. Um, next question is from uh, Adam Turoff. I started using Muji notebooks recently, but heard murmurings that the paper isn't acid-free. What are the risks of using paper that isn't acid-free? How do you test ahead of time that a notebook might have a problem, aside from just sticking to well-known brands like Rhodia and Leuchtturm? Uh, what symptoms would a poor-quality notebook exhibit as it starts to age? Uh, this this would all be news to me. I actually don't know anything about the, um, the uh, acid properties uh, for a notebook. This yeah. I, this really interested me, this topic, and I kind of went pretty deep into it. Um, so I'm going to try and avoid like the really technical stuff. And I have to qualify, um, well, I have to say as a disclaimer that I, like Sharon, I'm not an expert in paper milling or in ink chemistry or anything like that. So this is just generally from looking on Wikipedia, on the National Archives website and on various art blogs. Um, but because I'm interested in both antique books and also art paper. Um, this is something that I, I knew a little bit about before I did all this research. Addressing your question directly, Adam, my understanding is that from the late 70s or early 80s onward, almost all commercially produced paper is, technically speaking, acid-free or it's alkaline. So it's either pH neutral or it's alkaline. And that's because the process that is now used to make paper, newly invented process from the 80s, it's 
it produces paper that is naturally alkaline and all paper mills will use that process now because it's less expensive than the process that produced paper that was acidic. So that's one thing. But within the category of paper being acid-free or being alkaline, there are things which uh, will affect how durable it is in the long term. So just because it says acid-free doesn't mean it's the same sort of thing. So uh, there are different levels of acid-freeness. So things that will affect the Uh, durability and stability of paper on the long term. And when we're talking long term, we're saying like, you know, 30, 50 years. Um, The main component is, as you've pointed out, the amount of acid that is already in the paper and the amount of acid that the paper itself will produce over time. And that's because acid contributes to weakness of the paper and it causes yellowing and things like that. So that's bad. And there are also things that you can add to the wood pulp during the production process, which will buffer the paper from producing acids in the long term. So those are two things. And it's very hard to tell um, from the, you know, uh, looking at the pack of paper that you're buying or, you know, the, 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 with the, uh, the paper mill stamp or just from a brand, exactly what was done to produce the paper. We can say, generally speaking, that the paper is probably acid-free, but to the, ex- the extent to which it is acid-free is not something that's very easy to gauge ahead of time. Oh, one caveat is, and something that's actually very interesting is um, I found that well, the most common use of paper that is still acidic these days is in newsprint. So newspapers are acidic paper. That's why newspapers are one of the papers that will very quickly turn yellow. But um, even copier paper that you buy, that should be acid free. So getting to the second part of your question, uh, what can you do to test a notebook for its acid freeness or for its long term durability before you actually start using it? As I said, it's hard to say um, how long a paper will remain acid-free in the long term just by looking at it or by looking at the mill that it was produced in. But there are a couple of things that you can keep an eye out for and try to avoid when you're buying paper because they're less likely to be durable. And one of those things are uh, recycled paper and handmade paper, as Sharon said, and that's because they're less likely to be, for two different reasons. Recycled paper the cellulose strands in recycled paper tend to be shorter and more prone to breakage over time. So that's one thing you want to avoid if you want your notebooks to remain, uh, to keep their integrity for multiple decades. Um, The other thing is handmade paper, they're less likely to have the sorts of um, buffers, I think, that manufacturers add to their paper to keep them acid-free over the long term. The other thing you want to avoid is using inks that are acidic because they introduce acid into your paper, which uh, degrades the paper over the long term. So inks like iron gall inks and I think sailor inks are also... Sailor inks are alkaline. Okay, sailor inks are alkaline. Japanese inks tend toward alkaline as I understand. So unfortunately, a lot of fountain pen inks are slightly acidic and iron gall inks tend to be quite acidic. And acidic ink in the paper does corrode the paper over time. Another thing that you can be on the um, lookout for if you want long-term archival properties in your paper is 100% cotton paper because cotton paper doesn't have the impurities in it which create acids over the long term because cotton paper is not made of wood pulp um, which has lignum in it. And lignum is the main impurity that causes paper to become acidic over time. So um, buy cotton paper if you can afford it for things that you want to store long term. Plug here for a couple of my favourite cotton papers. <laughs> Been waiting for this. original Crown Mill. So um, my one of my favourite loose leaf papers is this one that uh, I actually brought in one a uh, few for Diana to try out. So original Crown Mill cotton paper, uh, cotton wove paper. It is a hundred and ten uh, GSM. And it is extremely smooth paper and all cotton. I think it's 100% cotton or getting up to 100% cotton. Um, Extremely fountain pen friendly and is okay with the sheen. Works pretty much all the time. So I do highly recommend it. 
something which might not actually be helpful in the process of you looking for paper that is hazard-free, but might be interesting to know is that just because it has a special coating on it, the paper might not be actually improved in its archival qualities by having a coating on it because the coating itself has to be acid-free in order to keep the paper to keep the paper uh, stable over time. So I don't know what kind of coating is used on Rhodia and Lohstom, um, but if they're using a coating, if it's processed in a way that introduces acid to the paper through a coating or something, that would actually make the paper uh, less likely to remain stable. And I know because um, I used moleskin for a while in my in high school and in my uni days, and that paper has not held up well over the decades. And um, you can tell when a paper is, when it's deteriorating chemically or physically. Um, and you, you probably already know what the features are of degradation. Um, the paper will turn brittle. It will start, like when you press, when you fold it, it gets very creasy and likely to break. It turns yellow. The ink might fade. And something else that would happen is it starts to kind of warp, like it doesn't maintain its flatness. And all these types of degradation might not necessarily be due to acid. Other things that can degrade paper are like humidity, pests, and um, the growth of mould. This is not pleasant to talk about. <laughs> but um, anything like that can also be very bad for paper in the long term. So general advice, <laughs> if you want your paper to you know, last for 20 plus years, 30 plus years, things to look out for is cotton paper. Avoid using very acidic ink. That's the sort of thing to look out for. So we've got uh, another question after that from Andrew Whitcroft. Uh, at work, we use the cheapest copier paper available and it plays havoc with, uh, I assume, it, uh, it's with fountain pens. Any suggestions on ink and nib combinations that work well or at least okay with cheap copier paper? Um, I think we've talked before about finer nibs and dry inks up to a point. I find that at work, uh, I have a similar situation um, with cheap copy paper, and I pretty much only use the driest um, and and fine nibs for work. Nothing kind of like UEF stage, but but uh, fine and extra fine, perfectly good for my purposes at work. So my recommended combination, um, definitely not UEF, is a platinum 3776 fine nib. I think that's like the absolute sweet spot when it comes to nib sizes or nibs that work really well on cheap paper and platinum blue black ink. So that is that has iron gall in it. It's not extremely dry, but uh, it's very, very good on really crap paper. It works on moleskin paper. Um. So I use copier paper quite a lot just for throwaway notes, uh, for taking phone messages and things like that, uh, because I just use discarded paper from the photocopier and I just turn it over and I use the back of that. And um, I've never really had issues with that, just writing notes with my most commonly used pens, and that includes my Faber-Castell mediums um, that my Pilot finds and my DuPont EFs. So those are the three nibs I tend to use a lot of from day to day. And I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just not very picky when it comes to feathering and uh, and bleed through. I don't have to worry about bleed through because I only use one side of the paper. And um, feathering, because I use fairly fine nibs, I, I don't really experience a lot of that. But if you're worried about feathering, one ink I would recommend is Sailor Kiraguro nano black which is a pigment ink uh, that has some waterproof qualities once it's fully dried and I've used that in a very fine extra fine nib even in very cheap like mass paperback sort of paper that very porous uh, paper that's been through printers yeah. um, and it does not bleed on that so um, I think that ink would be fine on almost anything. Okay. Uh, have you found any particular types of copier paper being better than others? 
I don't think my sample size is large enough to really what say anything. What paper are you using for our show notes? Because it's a pretty good one. It's pretty good. This is um, Fuji Xerox. Fuji Xerox. So I, okay. I normally buy Fuji Xerox or Reflex because I like the packaging. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not attracted by anything else really. And it works pretty well with most of my pens. The other one that I'll say that I've had pretty good experience with has been... I'm now going to have a mind blank. Just the generic uh, Officeworks brand that they bring in called J Burrows. I particularly like their 120 GSM, but their regular 80 GSM is also quite good, in my experience at least. Oh, one thing to note is uh, same as the, the answer for the acid-free paper thingy, you want to avoid recycled copier paper if you want the paper to be fountain pen friendly because recycled paper it's remade using exist like you know repulped wood and so it's weaker and it tends to be more absorbent so that's one general rule of thumb next up we have from Sunel fountain pen friendly greeting card suggestions if there are any i think um this might be your wheelhouse Sharon. oh uh, no i was going to provide an anti rack here We haven't had one of those for a while. But I think uh, Julian on uh, Fountain Pens Oceania actually provided a number of um, suggestions, which included uh, Mac Classic, Bohemia Paper, Captain Cat. Um, Those were the ones that he pointed out. For me, my anti-rec is Bespoke Letterpress. They're beautiful uh, cards and they just they don't work. They play havoc with um, fountain pens. I just don't use, I don't write enough gift cards to keep a record of which ones are fountain pen friendly and not. And when I do come across one that is fountain pen friendly, I really should make a note of it, but I keep forgetting to. Yes, I'm the same. I tend to buy cards in bulk, like I buy most things. Oh, I have an anti-rack as well. Um, Rifle, rifle cards. Um, Oh, Rifle Co. Rifle Co, Yes which sell through Dimix and Milligram, those cards are not fountain pen friendly. Mm. They feather quite a lot. Mm. So avoid that. <laughs> We're more with the anti-rex than the rex. <laughs> I haven't had much luck with finding good um, fountain pen friendly cards. Uh, I will say that most of the cards that I've tried from like the Japanese stores have been pretty good. But again, they're probably no name brands or just ones that I've picked off a shelf because it looks pretty. Yeah, I think I, I, I'll, go, I'll trust um, Julian's expertise on this particular question. So, A lot of your kind of pre-made cards as well um, are like at your uh, local stationery or newsagent store. They're, they're very coded. So depending on what you're writing with, you may not even get it to sit uh, on the paper itself. Exactly. You may not get it to absorb. So it's, it's really, really difficult, right? You don't want it to be very coded, but you also want it to be coated enough that it doesn't feather and that's such a thin line um yeah yeah, very tricky Mm -hmm. and then you have to actually like the card most of the time i buy cards according to the cover and the message and i just don't worry about whether or not it's fountain pen friendly um because that's just one more thing that I, i i can't be bothered with and i'll just use a like a pigment um pen or a gel pen instead of a fountain pen yeah, I would use a gel pen in for most of my cards. Um, from Alice Dare, post-it notes. Midori makes some, but they're pretty expensive. Are there any others out there? So, Sonone uh, provided a response saying that the Stalogy sticky notes um, are quite good. Uh, I'd believe that. I think the Stalogy paper is really good. I use the Midori post-it notes personally. I think uh, in terms of uh, fountain pen friendly post-it notes, they're up there. I have a real gripe with the fact that they're not as sticky as I would like them to be. And the original Post-it brand Post-it notes are actually uh, quite fountain pen friendly in my experience. Yeah, that's the one I've always used. Just Post-it Just the actual actual (laughs) Post-it. None of those other like brand sticky notes or whatever they're called. Just the Post-it brand Post-it notes. And the other trick is to not actually write on the sticky bit. Because yeah. that bit doesn't it doesn't absorb anything. Yeah. Right. Stay away from that top bar. Yep. Where where they've been connected. Okay. Best affordable fountain pen friendly paper. That one comes from Angela. So how fountain pen friendly does your fountain pen friendly paper need to be? That's yeah. That's I think the that's a big question. For Angela. Um, right. 
our friend, um, friend of the pod, um, Ada, she thinks very highly of the Muji papers, the loose leaf papers. Um, and I've used that with very broad nibs and found that to be quite fountain pen friendly. It's not a particularly lightweight paper. It's more heavyweight, so it's a higher GSM. But generally speaking, it's I, I would guess it to be around 70 or 80 GSM, but it's a very good quality coated paper that's good with fountain pens. Yeah, I find this question really hard to answer because, um, again, affordable is uh, is a constantly moving bar. Um, you can actually find some pretty pretty good paper just in supermarkets. Like I said, I went to supermarket paper shopping um, and struck gold at the Woolies. I don't know that I could recommend it because I've bought what, one pack and that one pack was absolutely fine. I don't know if they still do the same type or whatnot. Yeah, I think that's good advice. We know that it exists, right? That you can find a pad of A4 paper for you know this less than two dollars, like a dollar. Yeah, very cheaply. But you really have to be willing to make uh, to first test it or, or touch it in the store if you can. And if you can't, you know, take a risk and just buy a bunch of cheap pads and see which one works. I think where it becomes a little more difficult to recommend things is when people want the paper in specific formats and dimensions because then you're looking at what is the cheapest um, fountain pen friendly notebook in A5 size that is also gridded and on ivory or on you know paper and that becomes really difficult yeah absolutely almost (laughs) impossible unless you've tried all the papers DIY yeah last question comes from Melody in Sydney Um, where to buy notebooks with fountain pen friendly paper online uh, and in Australia, please. Um, as far as uh, brick and mortars, uh, I think we've talked about for for Sydney that uh, Dimex and um, Kinokuni are like good stops uh, close to the city. Uh, and your rodeo paper, wherever you can find it, usually at an office works, um, is, is quite good as well. One place that I think stocks quite a good range of fountain pen friendly paper is Art on King Studios, uh, which is on King Street in Newtown. They are an art supply store with a um, adjacent bookstore and they have in s- small stock but um, a good amount of different types of notebooks so they stock Apica and I think ooh, a bunch of Japanese notebooks um, but you can also find that at Dimix of course. As far as online um, I think we've covered a, f- a few in um, our retailers uh, kind of recommendations but um, Bookbinders is a good one so is Milligram um, uh, also, if if you're drawn to uh, TR paper notebooks, uh, Desk Bandit has the Tarokos as well, and I think that's been a recent addition. Generally speaking, you would avoid buying paper internationally because it's so expensive to ship. But maybe one exception to that is Overjoyed yes. in Singapore. Yes, <laughs> she took the words out of my mouth. Yes. And why is that? <laughs> because if you spend over eighty dollars AUD, they offer you free next day shipping. They don't, they don't actually uh, advertise it as free next day shipping. It's free shipping, but they courier it to you. It's like about 10 hours, 10, 16 hours yeah. to your door. Singapore to Sydney is very fast. Yep, very, very fast. So thank you, everyone. Uh, thanks, everyone, who sent in the before, questions. Before we all um, move on, so my questions to you guys, what papers do you use? Uh, my, my no- I have two regular notebooks. Um, one has the Midori MD. Um, and that is sort of like my more rapid note-taking notebook because I know uh, things will dry a bit faster and it's in a more of a knock-around case. I have my Hippo Noto in a leather case as well, but anything I write in a Hippo Noto, I have to be prepared to uh, leave it open for longer. Um, so it's generally more kind of artistic stuff or um, you know things that I, I want to um, – I'm a little more – concerned about the format of how I'm I'm putting it down but those are those are my two main ones is the Midori MD and the Tomoe River uh, 68 GSM. I use Tomoe River 52 only as a last resort for testing 
um, new pens and inks. I think that's a good way to show um, the extreme properties of inks and nibs to use it on the Tomo River 52. But that is not my preferred paper just for daily writing. My preferred papers for daily writing is um, I use a lot of the Life Stationery Kapan notebooks because they come in a good A5 soft cover notebook um, in a different range of widths. Uh, so not, not widths, but um, they come gridded and they come, I think, blank and lined. So you got some choice. And I also use quite a lot of Midori MD and the Tomo River 68 in the form of the Enigmas. So those are the three main papers that I use. So um, day to day, I use Life Kapan as well. Um, and I think it was just because there was a sale on Life Kapans at Milligram at one point. And I must have stocked up because I've just got mountains of those A5 notebooks. <laughs> Me too. Um, I, I use them at work. I've got one in my work notebook uh, right there. I'm staring at right now. I use it at home. I use the lined ones at home just to doodle on. Um, I find the paper quality okay. It, it brings out okay qualities of your inks. It's acceptable for day-to-day. It's, day. it's acceptable for day-to-day. Day. I have issues with the consistency of some of them. I've had ones which have really bad feathering spots in between them, just on um, one particular spot on the page. So I use Life Kapan. I love Midori MD, and that's probably the one that I use for stuff that I'm going to keep and not just for random notes um i actually use fax paper at home for just random scribble scribbles um like the old fax paper with the little ring holes down the side that you then that are perforated i wouldn't even know where you buy that these days uh i somehow have a stash from probably about 20 years ago that's working great. You can have some if you like. Oh, wait. I do actually have some paper. <laughs> I thought I'd thrown it out when I was cleaning out the study um, like a decade ago. But I think it might be still in the garage somewhere. I'm pretty sure mine Growing was mold. two decades ago. Mine doesn't grow. Mine hasn't grown mold. Oh, it's, it's definitely coated. Fax paper yeah. must be. So I find fax paper really good, actually. Um, so I have a stash of that at home. Um, and then in terms of Tomoe River, I don't use a lot of Tomoe River. I use 52 when I do use it and I tend to use it for like slower writing stints. Um, I use the Nanami 7Cs and I also like the Stalogy notebooks. I have a couple of Stalogy notebooks that I use quite regularly. But for me, it's Midori and Life because I just have a stash of it. And Rhodia. I do use Rhodia loose leaf, like Rhodia pads. I use quite a lot of Rhodia pads. Yeah, the, the only Rhodia pads I use now are the ones that you gave me a while ago. <laughs> they, they're fine. Um, they're just very heavy. I don't like carrying them from place to place. But um, have you either of you to use the Apica CD notebooks? Yes. I haven't. I've seen them around. Um, they, they come... Uh, well recommended from the people that, that I've spoken to. Yeah, Brian loves them. I think the paper in that is quite good and they're relatively inexpensive. But what prevents me from really using them, I think, is they come in irregular sizes. Like the they come in B6 and B5 and just non, non-A5 and A4 sizes. And I don't like the look of the cover. I don't think it's... Like it's a bit too strong for my liking. Um, I like to put my own covers on things, or I prefer a sort of a blank, um, professional, um, clean surface on the cover. And yeah, that's that's a general reason why I don't use the CDs. But I think they're good for students. They're they're quite budget friendly, so they're good for that. Sorry, just one other recommendation: um, Clairefontaine Triumph. I really like Clairefontaine Triumph. Um, I think that paper's really good. And I've also had a chance to try the new Milligram paper, which is okay, actually. It's okay. I don't know what the price point of it is. I have I should check. But it's fountain pen friendly and it works okay. <laughs> what form, what kind of notebook uh, is that? Pad. Oh, okay. So pad. And it comes lined, gridded, dot grid, I want to say as okay. well. But definitely lined and gridded. Because I know um, the Milligram produce a wide range of different types of notebooks and the new A4 ones with the purple covers. Okay, that's good. Milligram paper, I'm pretty sure it's milled by Fabriano in Italy. And Fabriano papers are they're very varied in terms of their fountain pen friendliness. One Fabriano paper I really liked, and which is impossible to source now, um, is the Fabriano Traccia. 
T-R-A-C-C-I-A. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. But it was very lightweight. I think it was around um, 60 GSM. It was quite ink resistant and it only came in um, unlined pads. But I stocked up on those about four years ago and I'm still slowly working my way through it because I think it's a very relatively inexpensive um notepad with really good fountain pen friendly paper so if you're in italy and you see that that's one paper you can give a go fabiano traccia hmm. cool. all right um well hopefully that answered some of your questions uh you know uh there's a lot of paper out there we've tried a lot of them and but um there's there's some that you you can only you know really figure out by trying them yourself with the nibs you like to use. Yeah, and there are a lot of papers which you may fall in love with, but then they're no longer able to be sourced. So I, I came into this episode fully prepped to give my rec on a particular Aussie a paper company called Techno Papers, called Techno Papers, um, where I bought a lot of specialty paper. And it's the where I got the two papers that I've just brought in today for us to try. They've just applied to be deregistered, so they no longer <laughs> exist as of end of August. So this where, year. where in Australia would you buy Crown Mill, um, original Crown Mill? I have a stash from when I bought them at uh, Techno Papers. Now, I think you can get them from Staples, Wink slash Staples in Australia. But yeah, so Techno Papers was my go-to place because they they stocked a couple of less commonly found in Australia papers, which are quite good, including UK brand Conqueror. So I quite like Conqueror. I really like Conqueror envelopes. If you're a bit of a letter writer, the envelopes are really good. Um, so Conqueror, Conqueror, Beckett Cambric, yeah, original Crown Mill. And then they also had my favorite paper, which was pageantry paper. And it was 112 GSM, very bizarre weight. But um, I love that paper. I think that's probably one of my favorite, uh, just plain papers. Well, that takes us to our recommendations section. Uh, if you just tuning into the show for the first time, this is where the hosts recommend something that they like that doesn't necessarily have to be fountain pen related. Uh, I'm going to go first. I'm going to recommend you keep a nice, strong, robust garlic dip in your house. Uh, you know, it's going to like almost, almost burn the tongue. It's going to be real strong. For a while, uh, you could only get quite light stuff um, in Sydney. Uh, I personally like the stuff that they sell at uh, Manush, uh, which is in Newtown. They also have some other branches, but it's got to be real strong stuff. You know, throw it in your eggs, throw it on your toast. Yeah, a robust garlic dip. I put garlic in everything. Keeps the vampires <laughs> away. Well, it's not keeping your cold away, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. No, this this is a this is a different uh, this is a different thing. I have many ailments, and garlic solves some of them. <laughs> Um, I'm going to recommend a show which I think is available on Netflix. Well, it's it's technically two shows. It's Avatar The Last Airbender and the sequel no. <laughs> Legend of Korra. <laughs> no. Why? Were you going to recommend No, them? no, no. I wasn't. But I had heard terrible reviews on those. No, I'm sure you've heard no, the terrible the reviews movie. on... Yeah, the movie. Yeah. The movie got a terrible oh, There's a okay. very, very bad live action adaptation Directed by M.S. Uh, uh, yeah, M.S. Shyamalan, M. Night, M.S. Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan, which is terrible. Don't watch it. But Netflix um, recently greenlit a live-action TV show based on Avatar: The Last Airbender. So if you are wanting to prepare for that, um, the animation is fantastic. It's a really great series. It's supposedly for kids, but I find some of the themes to be quite. Um, you know, very, um, they're well worth digging into. And I think it's a great thing for um, adults and children to watch. It's very um, funny. <laughs> That's something that kids will love. It's got great jokes, beautiful animation, lovely characters, young characters. It's about a, it's basically a trek, really. It's a trek narrative. You're, um, these kids are out to not track down any particular items it's about learning the skills to become the master of the four elements um, the avatar so it's a common narrative but told really well with a lot of humor and heart so is that speaking of heart uh so this episode is going to be released on the 26th of october 
which in Australia is National Bandana Day. Um, so that's run by Canteen, a not-for-profit organisation supporting young uh, young adults and kids with cancer. Uh, you can show your support by getting one of their bandanas. Um, the cloth ones are five dollars and the uh, five Australian dollars, and they have two special editions. One is a limited edition silk with birds on it, which is quite pretty, and uh, the other one is a satin, which is I think colourful flowers um, or something like that. Uh, so both the silk and the satin are fifteen dollars. So I highly recommend uh, getting yourself a bandana. And even if you don't wear a bandana, like I don't wear a bandana, I got one for my dog who is looking absolutely spiffy in his. He has a dark navy with pink flamingos one. And we will share a photo because he's so adorable and he looks so handsome. It's it just it was worth it. I can't wait for um, our Instagram followers to go crazy over Sebastian <laughs> and his little bandana. Yes. Uh, life update. I I have a puppy. <laughs> He's so cute. That'll that'll be uh, two two dogs that have uh, showed up on the podcast. I don't think I don't think your one has shown up on the podcast yet, though. Yeah, we need I to remedy that. <laughs> he is very chill and he doesn't take good photos, unfortunately. Unlike mine, who poses very well for bandanas. <laughs> well, that takes us to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you very much uh, to the two of you for holding down the fort in the recording studio. Thank you very much, Di. Thank you, Chuck. And thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Uh, as always, my name is Chuck Montano. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nim Section Facebook page or at the Nim Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nim Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chuck Monsano, Sharon Zah, and Diana Dai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dai. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>